Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tuesday night edition of the pod, we're going to finish out the 15 and 60. got eight teams here to get to in the Western Conference. Where would you like to begin, Mr. LaRue? Which team's research are you most excited to talk about? Oh, what's... I'm trying to think about where would be a good place to start. I'm sure there are people who are interested in the the drama of of Golden State and but but so let's I'll start with that game, which is that was Clippers Warriors. But let's start with the Clippers. I th- I think that's a, a more interesting place to begin this. They are now eight and five, four and three since the last time we covered them here. Plus three point eight net rating puts them eighth in the NBA. They are seventh in offense, fourteenth in defense. Five thirty eight projections finally separated them from the Spurs because the Clippers won on Monday night and the Spurs lost. So that puts them 41 wins and 10th by themselves. For me, the there were a couple of big takeaways from the Clippers side of their win, their overtime win over the Warriors. And one of them was just another really strong game for Montrez Harrell. Came off the bench, but scored 23 points with eight rebounds and four blocks in 32 minutes. There was overtime, so he played more and got obviously more, more stats because of that. And he just really changed the game. I thought that the energy he played with, the activity he brought, he wasn't fouling too too much you know he did commit a couple that i thought they could have that they, that he didn't have to do but he does really give them a boost and so the i think part of the reason the clippers traded for marcin gortat was that while i'm guessing they liked harrell and boban they probably thought they needed more and the answer is they're getting more from those guys and so gortat has been not entirely but mostly marginalized yeah and harrell i think you know he dominated the warriors in that game when lou williams had the 50 in oracle last year uh i think lou and harrell are tough matchups for the Warriors uh although you know, as you know you can talk more about this uh, that the ISO work with Lou down the end is the Warriors went on an 11-0 run to tie it in the last few minutes didn't go as well and then it did go better off of free throws in the overtime but yeah I mean it, like Harold's energy is really awesome I think the, the biggest thing that Doc Rivers if he's not starting him has to watch out for is just making sure that, that he gets him a, a, enough rest because uh, he's going to be closing a lot of these games at this point so you know he can't come in and play 18 straight minutes do you know the old Nikola Miritich uh so I think that's something that they're really gonna have to watch out for as well I mean I think in the in the Bucks game he played like the last 18 minutes of the game you know which was another great win that they had with uh Lou Williams finally beating Eric Bledsoe who had defended him well throughout most of the game for an impossible floater in overtime um yeah do you want to talk about 
a little bit what their late game offense looked like against the Warriors though? Their late game offense was basically give the ball to Lou Williams, see what Lou Williams can do with it. And in regulation, that absolutely didn't work. I think it was a 22 to 5 Warriors run and the Clippers missed, I believe, their last 11 shots from the field in regulation that game. They were getting to the free throw line a little bit. And then it worked better in overtime, partially because something that had happened earlier in the game was that the Warriors just didn't do a good job of defending Lou Williams without fouling Kevon Looney early in the game and then at the very end of the game got caught just not really knowing how to play him once it was a reach that Lou Williams went through for a shooting foul he's been doing that for 10 years and also later on both Iguodala and Looney bit on pump fakes got into the air Lou Williams got shooting fouls I think both of those were three shot shooting fouls off of it and you know you could live and die by Lou Williams to a point but what was bothersome to me and yes the Clippers won the game and everything else like that was I think they can do better this is not last year's team where Lou Williams was the deserving sixth man of the year was the alpha and the omega for their offense for a reason because he was their best offensive player he was their only good run not that Tobias Harris and Gallo had particularly good games but I think they should have turned to them a little bit more I thought Shea had a nice performance as well and it worked I'm not you know but it I think they could have if they had gotten a few more points in the second half of the fourth quarter they wouldn't have needed overtime in the first place yeah that would have been helpful although certainly you know Gallo Tobias Harris those are kind of ISO type of players you know if you're going to quote-unquote go to them or they're, they're going to need to work off of screens with the Warriors switching everything late in the game you know it is difficult to get those guys involved and they're not going to actually have the matchup against a Warriors team especially with Steph Curry out it's hard to find that matchup uh I thought their defense was pretty good in this game against the Warriors you know granted that this isn't a Warriors team that is that dynamic without Steph Curry there uh you know Clay Thompson got really hot late but overall wasn't took 31 shots to get to 31 points KD was held to 10 to 24 from the field uh to get to the foul line a, a fair amount though uh anything else you wanted to talk about from that game or I, I had done a little bit of work on, on uh Shea that I wanted to get to here it is not necessarily a full breakdown but uh one that oh actually I mean can you talk about what their defense was like in that game a little bit more well, I think that they were largely, you know, forcing guys like Durant and Clay Thompson to take tough shots. They were just, they weren't, they weren't really stretched as far due to the Warriors not having Steph Curry. And that was actually one thing I disagreed with Doc on in this game was that I understand the logic of not wanting to play Boban against Golden State because typically because of the ways that you can attack him. But without Steph Curry on the floor, especially because Quinn Cook had a rough game, Patrick Beverly just smothered him when they, when they put that matchup on the floor. And I thought Shea, they switched around the matchups on who was guarding Clay. I thought overall, especially in the first three quarters, they did a very good job. But there aren't that many guys on the Warriors other than KD who are really going to exploit you one-on-one when Steph Curry's not in the game. So I think the Clippers just kind of relied on their guys a lot more. And then some, and and they were generally had another guy at the rim if somebody got past, but the Warriors weren't getting much in the lane anyway. Yeah, Boban is really interesting. I mean, they as you mentioned, they did start Gortat and Gortat actually wasn't too bad. This is one of his more efficient games to in a while that was also interesting that the Clippers got up so few three-point attempts they're only five out of 20 in this game well I will mention that a couple of those got taken away because Lou Williams got fouled on three-pointers yeah. so unless the shot goes in those don't count so I think I think it would probably would have been like 23 or 24 because there were at least or no sorry like 22 or 23 there were at least a couple of those because Lou oh I should mention that Lou Williams five of 18 from the field one of five from three but 14 of 14 from the free throw line now there still are some fluky aspects to this Clippers defense 
defense statistically uh they are allowing or they remain second in the nba in e-fugal percentage defense and then you know they're in the 20s in all of the other categories so the prediction last time we talked about them was that their defense was going to regress well can i give a, st- yeah. a stat on that so right now yeah they're giving up a below average make rate on threes but the bigger question mark for me is at the rim itself so their their foul rate is pretty high but they're also giving up the third highest attempt proportion at the rim 40 percent of opponents half or shots are, are at the rim and right now they're seventh in rim defense let's call it and it's possible that they're that their rim protection is that good but i don't expect it i mean just when i you know they do often have somebody there but I, i'm not saying they're like they're not the clippers that I, I not at that point yet where you know like i was very skeptical of that last year with nurkic and i was like oh they're not gonna do that but he's a different type of player than harrell and boban and those type of guys so i expect them to you know not be atrocious at that but if you're giving up that high a frequency and that low a success rate if those if if one of those regresses to the mean most notably the shooting then that will make the e-field goal percentage go up a lot another interesting thing about this team when we did their preview you expressed some concern that their free throw rate might go down a little bit from last year because i think last year they were number four in the league if memory serves in free throw rate well they're third this year and we saw obviously getting to the foul line is what won then that game against golden state uh but that five out of 20 those 20 attempts that's not an aberration this team does not shoot a ton of three-pointers they are 28th in the nba uh, in three-point attempt rate right now and a year ago they were 23rd so a similar profile and actually they were second uh, uh in the nba in free throw rate a year ago although that number can change a little bit depending on on who you consult so that's uh looking like what this team is going to be and you have a, of course guys like gallo harrell lou williams boban gets fouled all the time you know they have a lot of guys who get to the foul line on this team and you know that's really important for them especially in an era where teams get fouled far less now you know if they got into a playoff series it would be interesting to see like how well that held up if teams are really locking in on what they try to do drawing fouls particularly gallo and lou will because those are some of the craftier guys trying to draw fouls real quickly here on what i want to talk about with shea just has been awesome out of pick and roll he's 10 out of 18 on pick and roll jump shots off the dribble and when teams have gone under on him it's interesting this is a per synergy he has not taken any jumpers out of pick and roll from three you know he's, he's spotting up taking some he's looked okay on those shots but not very aggressive yet shooting that uh but when teams have gone under on him and he's able to get to a two-point jumper he's been able to convert on that uh he's four out of five uh, on those plays and then he's getting to the rim a pretty good amount i mean if you're t- talking about pick and roll he's taking 19 jumpers off the dribble in pick and roll and he's taking it to the basket 15 times and he's finished quite well there eight out of 12 so that's a very good ratio especially for a young guard to be able to get to the rim that much out of pick and roll um all right much more to get to here but i want to tell you about a new sponsor one of the sponsors that i've probably been most excited by it's called goat.com and it is the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers online apparently there are a lot of fake sneakers out there but goat makes sure 
that the sneakers that you are buying are authentic they've made the whole process frictionless by only accepting sellers with the best reputations and they verify all sneakers match their exact factory specifications to ensure authenticity (laughs) i always have a call with whoever the sponsor is before we accept them onto the show and so i asked them like oh what is your process like to ensure this they're like well actually like a pair of new jordans has a certain smell and so we actually have people who know the industry smell them to determine like whether they are authentic or not and they inspect every detail beyond that as you might think you know the stitching the color the size the weight i mean there's really a lot of things that you can do to determine whether a a shoe is for real or not they've got half a million sneakers on the platform available and they have 10 million users so you're going to find great prices there they also have this program called uh goat clean which involves reconditioning uh, shoes you can get a great price on that if you go on their website they, they explain uh, uh, the painstaking process that they go through there the way to get started with them is at goat.com g-o-a-t.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space we talk about all the time on the program definitely want to go right now before the sneakers you want are gone i actually found and also what was cool about them too is just searching through there the search engine is really easy they'll give you a lot of suggestions as well i mean i'm not like a huge huge sneaker head but you know i see stuff that i like and i and buy it so i'm i'm not really particularly well versed in this but there are so many shoes that were available that i'd never seen before in stores and i ended up buying a really nice pair of reebok kamikaze twos which are uh, what sean kemp used to wear anyway i'm not going to keep talking about this because i'm sure there a lot of you are much bigger sneaker heads than i am and i'm just going to sound like a moron trying to discuss this intelligently but the site is pretty awesome that's goat.com slash capspace once again goat.com slash capspace and do it now before the sneakers you want are gone all right let's turn now to golden state unclear still when steph curry will return they are doing the texas triangle with the three games and four nights and they actually have five games this week they're also playing tonight against the hawks if i had to guess i don't think we will see him on that trip you know there haven't been reports of him doing a ton of full speed stuff uh he's never had a groin injury before so they've specifically said they're trying to be cautious with that now there's talk that curry would be in the mvp race you know missing it'll end up being what seven or eight games here danny probably not going to help him too much with that yeah though harden missed time due to a hamstring issue last year and still won so i mean it is, it is possible but we could see how strong the cases are the cases could be stronger for his competition this year than they were before and the warriors did get some reinforcements back in their loss to the clippers livingston had missed some time due to a foot issue and draymond green as well both those guys came back physically i think both of them were fine and then Draymond figured into both the comeback in the fourth quarter and then the bizarre ending to the fourth quarter when he grabbed a rebound. I had it in my head about five seconds. It's marked on the box score. The play-by-play is 3.3 seconds. I think it, that might have been when he like controlled it. Yeah, or something yeah. Like it was that. definitely, it was definitely and, earlier than 3.3 seconds. That, that's right. Yeah, I think it was five, six, five, something in that range. And so generally speaking, the Warriors had two timeouts left. 
that is a time it's too short to push it and go no timeout because you're you're spending all the time getting up the floor and even if it was a great pull-up shooter i I generally would think that at at about six seconds you'd still want to call the timeout green did not call the timeout kevin durant very vociferously wanted the ball which also was a mistake (laughs) i also should have wanted a timeout especially because durant wasn't moving towards the basket he was just kind of standing there and then green just takes it himself drives into just a a a forest of clippers and doesn't even get a shot off before it before time expires so it goes to overtime the warriors lose in overtime durant fouls out everything else that happens and there is you know reporting of a a conflict there is a little bit more color on tuesday afternoon from sean strania that it might that that might be a little bit more substance to it but generally my assumption as somebody who's covered this team for a while is that most of these things are just heat of the moment you know guys wanting to do want thinking that they had the right answers and until we get something more substantive that's just the way i treat it kind of like the i'm not a robot thing a few years ago and numerous other ones yeah well shams reporting that uh in the midst of the verbal exchange on the court late in monday's game Draymond green challenged kevin durant about durant's impending free agency oh that's not a good thing to do <laughs> uh I, I would think uh you know kd is definitely not trying to hear that at, at this point but i mean i thought and then apparently what caused further issue was that when green was confronted not only by durant but by several teammates even in the locker room after the game that he wasn't like okay my bad even though he did in fact turn it over but that he also was like defending himself and i think he pretty clearly was in the wrong for a number of reasons i mean one they should have called him out and kerr probably deserves the most blame there now i we're huge fans i mean going back to five years ago when very few teams did the no timeout strategy you know i was saying hey more teams need to do this uh the math is just totally in favor of it but six seconds left just isn't enough time so i mean i i appreciate the default of going quickly but especially off a scramble rebound like that when you're not even inbounding the ball i think it's just too difficult to get the ball up quickly enough but then also draymond he's not with that little time left he's not the guy to be pushing it up because he is not a threat to take that shot off the dribble he's not really a threat to get all the way to the rim and finish there isn't really even time to get all the way to the rim and finish uh and you know kd is one of the best guys pulling up from deep draymond also has a little bit of a history of kind of flubbing up these late game full court ball handling situations you remember uh the play against houston in game five last year is one of them uh there was this one he's this wasn't a full court situation but in 2016 at home against the celtics you know he kind of just was trying to attack off a pick and roll and lost i mean he's had like a number of kind of ugly turnovers in these situations and while his confidence is appreciated you know there comes a time when you got to just you know give the ball to steph curry or kevin durant uh or clay thompson who also felt that he was open on the play uh and green obviously uh ended up losing the ball so no i think that is a my bad should have been a my bad by green uh we'll see you know both green and durant did not address reporters durant actually dressed he's usually if you're in the locker room will just take forever to get ready um he addressed and left without even addressing reporters and and slater said that he's never done that in the whole time that slater has covered him even going back to oklahoma city and then green also uh did not address the, the media so there's actually you know the fact that this is Woj is reporting stuff that shams is reporting stuff like this is a little bit beyond 
what we've seen so far with these guys um supposedly there wasn't anything regarding like a physical altercation or anything like that either uh so at least that's a positive but that's probably enough on that i mean we usually don't get into all this like you know he said he said type of stuff uh, on this show but because it is something where he can be a free agent and also it has a basketball component to it that started this i mean i do think at least it's like this isn't like oh these guys hate each other it's actually like a basketball thing which i think is something that's uh you know a little bit less worrisome that it just stemmed from hey you made this decision on the court um I don't know. What else do we got on these guys? Unless you wanted to add something on that. I don't really have much to add. Outside of that, Alfonso McKinney is coming back to earth a little bit. I mean, he, overall, his, his season stats are still going to regress. I mean, 48% on threes so far. And, you know, the 55% on twos, he can, he can do better than that. Still rebounding the ball well, all of that. And then Jordan Bell, I, I it was it was funny because like I do the report card stuff for The Athletic. And I praised what he did on, on this play where if he had just come into the game, ran the floor really hard i think it was harold that he beat down the floor got a dunk in transition i wrote like that's basically what he needs to do whenever he's on the floor and then he never came back in the game he played two minutes at the i think it was the end of the second quarter never returned and while i thought looney had a solid game overall damian jones was eh. it, it's just strange to me that they've that kerr and the coaching staff have set this kind of preference ordering that is so strong when the players themselves have been a little bit more inconsistent than that and maybe that's trying to instill confidence in damian jones or something like that or whatever but i think bell has a higher ceiling than damian jones as a as an overall player just because his mind for the game is so much better yeah he doesn't have the same size but i think that matters a lot less in the modern nba and it's surprising to me and generally when that happens you always assume there's something you know something you're not seeing and i openly acknowledge that that could be the case here but i still want to acknowledge it because that's what we do yeah damian jones isn't good uh you know he superficially had some moments the first four games of the year when they just happened to have a bunch of big centers to go against but you know i think it's the numbers with him on the floor still with as dominating as this team has been this year uh, have not been uh, very good do we give all the fundamentals for them we might not have i'll do that now 11 and 3 5 and 2 since last 15 and 60 still first in net rating plus 12.5 still first in offense 10th in defense and 538 projects them to have 64 wins which would be best in the west and the nba entirely also that game against brooklyn was just completely ridiculous in terms of their mid-range shooting like they actually stuck with where they've been as uh an offensive team even without curry in that game because i think they were 13 of 18 from mid-range in the first half and just shooting incredible incredibly well uh, from mid-range and just getting up absolutely zero three-point attempts i think they had like five three-point attempts in the first half of that game uh let's yeah yeah quinn cook made a bunch of mid-rangers yeah, yeah cook played really well in that game didn't play as much in this one you mentioned he struggled against beverly let's talk memphis grizzlies now they sit at seven and five four and three in their last seven they are 12th in the nba with a 2.0 net rating they are the 22nd ranked offense and the second ranked defense uh projecting still for 35 wins and remember uh which would put them 12th in the conference remember of course that that 35 wins is based not only on how they've played so far this year but also the preseason expectations that number two ranked defense uh, obviously is 
what's made them so good but to get that high is dependent entirely on the fact that they're forcing turnovers uh and opponent turnover percentage is a relatively stable stat around 15 games or so i was talking about christian narsu's uh research on that or just kind of how long it takes before you can draw some conclusions from a stats and he said 15 games really uh for opponent turnover percentage and they've played 12 games now so certainly they're going to continue to be a high turnover forcing team however they're forcing turnovers on 19.1 percent of opponent possession last year's number one team was 16.5 percent and the highest in the last five years over a full season was 2014-15 milwaukee at 18.2 percent you remember that was the first jason kidd year uh and over the last two years the highest turnover forcing team uh was around in the 16s so they clearly are going to regress to some degree on forcing turnovers and there's nothing else really that stands out about them defensively you know the the field goal percentage rebounding fouling that's all middling or below it is worth noting that they are giving up the most percentage of shots as corner threes part of that i think is because they played the jazz three times the jazz take a lot of corner threes um but 9.9 percent of shots they're giving up as corner threes and uh, opponents aren't shooting that well on them so that's something to watch if they keep giving up a lot of corner threes i think that generally high it wouldn't surprise me this if teams that give up or force a lot of turnovers also give up a lot of corner threes uh and probably shots at the rim as well i mean you'll remember that Bucks team that forced a lot of turnovers was similar there but this team has a lot of guys who force turnovers. I mean, Kyle Anderson is probably the best guy in the league at poking away a dribble, especially because he's so slow. Guys like think they're going to blow by him, and then he's able to get that seven four wingspan and poke the ball away. Um, and, and I think another reason that they've looked so good is just they don't have any bad defensive players who get minutes on this team. Yeah, and that was why investing in the perimeter rotation was so important because they getting guys like Garrett Temple. I mean, Garrett Temple is a, a solid operator on both ends of the floor Conley is also buying in I mean it helps that they're so competitive this year Gasol is looking a lot better but yeah the bench players too I mean Jaron Jackson I think has held his own and really you can go top to bottom with this squad and they are going to face a challenge with that now that Dylan Brooks is out not that Brooks is an amazing defender but getting into Marshawn Brooks and who, yeah. who I consider oh yeah yeah I guess he's, he's the Brooks. one guy in the rotation who's not any good you're right I'd, I'd forget yeah, and he's gonna him. have to play a lot more Brooks is out six to eight weeks with this grade two mcl sprain so presumably he will get in that and we'll have to see how jermichael green defends when he gets back because he's obviously gonna be a big part of the rotation i don't think he'll be bad but it'll just be something something to evaluate once he returns i haven't heard a specific timeline i'm guessing another week or two that kind of seems like from what i remember was about a month when he got hurt and that was at the very beginning of the season and something else that i think is is interesting with how they've handled it. i talked about how deep their perimeter rotation is is that memphis is playing mike Connolly with shelvin mack a fair amount yeah they're doing that uh and, and the numbers there have been okay i mean i think that makes sense because they're a little light uh, on ball handling you can bring conley off some screens uh, do some more dho stuff when you have uh, another ball handler there uh you know i think we'll see more wayne selden now with brooks out uh that's he's actually having a nice start of the season he's 13 out of 27 from three brooks you know, we may not see or, or marshawn brooks we may not see as much of him because his shooting uh hasn't been quite as hot uh, from three although he is shooting 57 percent from two he was just crazy when they signed him last year uh, on two-point jumpers as well i mean he's not a guy who gets to the rim uh, a ton you know i don't think they're actually gonna miss brooks uh, that much i mean he definitely plays hard but i, I actually like selden uh better than him i'm also actually a little worried when green comes back from that broken 
and jaw of what that's going to mean for their offense he's really not that great of an offensive player he doesn't shoot enough threes and he's not quite as athletic as he used to be i mean i think frankly that jackson is better than him uh already in most ways uh although jackson is like five out of 27 from three which is a little bit of an issue um but you know i think jackson has more length than him uh and he's gonna need to play uh i think kyle anderson is probably better than green at, at this point also although anderson is uh shall we say struggling offensively he's taken only five three-point attempts all season made one of them and yet he's still shooting 41 percent from the field um and not hitting his free throws either to the limited extent he gets there so we'll, we'll see whether they can continue to get anything out of anderson uh as in terms of just the numbers when he's on the floor which have actually been fine um yeah and as i mentioned uh, mac is having a pretty good season so far by his standards 63 or 62 percent true shooting which uh i'm not gonna pull up his stats but i'm pretty damn sure would be the best of his career uh 18 percent usage which is pretty high uh, for him as well now a lot of what he's doing is based on 47 percent three-point shooting that's going to come down uh, but they are getting more out of him than they ever thought and that's part of why they moved on uh from andrew harrison uh anything else that's uh, popped out uh, to you about them i know you watched that game they played against uh utah on uh, uh over the weekend uh no I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the jazz side of that the one other thing i want to mention that memphis did that we saw more in person though it was absolutely true in their game against the jazz is how good they are fighting over screens i mean that's something they just do a really good especially conley like they just they just get through stuff and that helps make the defense work and puts a little bit less strain on marcus all and it's a challenging defensive strategy like there are a lot of the reason why many teams have moved away from that is because a lot of guys can't pull it off but uh, they have still have some of the personnel they can yeah and with marcus all i mean you're never going to be in a switching system and uh you know Gasol's defense has taken a big step forward uh from last year when it does seem that perhaps he was just a, a little bit disheartened by how poorly things were going I want to talk a little bit more about uh Jaron Jackson too since we did see the Grizz uh in person about a week ago uh he does post up really hard at the charge circle and they can get those plays on high low stuff with Gasol uh you know I like and when he does catch the ball down there you know he's going to go right shoulder to that left-handed jump hook every time but he, when you're so close to the basket that doesn't matter you know you've already got the guy pinned pretty well you don't need to have a ton of moves at that point but it was interesting seeing Draymond Green guard him because Draymond always knows the scouting report on everyone and if you're you can only do one thing he will always be sitting on that and you know he knew that Jackson is either going to just go a straight line drive to his left and try to get to that lefty hook shot or if he ever does go right he's going to spin back left and so uh Draymond stripped him one time when he tried to go back to that he knew exactly what was coming and it was really uh Jordan Bell was all over it too uh you know Bell has started to get to where he's pretty good at taking away one-handed players uh Bell blocked him a couple of times got bailed out by a pretty weak foul call another time um and so certainly you know I mean we've seen DeMontis Tavonis start to make some strides in his third season uh but Jackson clearly I mean it was comical how many times he was going left and how far the Warriors were sitting on him and he ended up having a decent statistical game in that game he had five blocks and you know scored some points there was a lot of garbage time late as well but when the Warriors had any kind of decent defender on him they were all over what he was trying to do so he's going to really need to diversify there I'm just not sure that he's ever going to be much more offensively as a one-on-one guy than you know who, someone who can attack mismatches uh, with his size uh, and they continue to just not use him at all for three I mean, he had one three-point attempt in that Warriors game and it was a totally improvised play where he popped out to the corner they're not running anything to get him threes they're not having him stand out there at all and you know granted five out of 27 isn't going to be uh, much of a plea to shoot more of those but uh it, i mean do you think just 
quickly we've, we've watched a lot of Grizzlies games lately what do you think of the job that JB Bickerstaff is doing as of this point getting his players to buy in and execute defensively well execute is also interesting because you're talking about how their defense is so turnover based and that is sometimes it's hard to sustain at the level they're at it might be impossible to sustain at yeah. the level they're at offensively but, but I don't feel I don't feel I think like there's a ton scheme wise that like you know they're gambling a right. ton or like they're putting you know crazy no 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 yeah I, they, on, on like pick and rolls or anything I think a lot of it is just they have guys who are good at that you know yeah they have got and they have guys that can do that Kyle Anderson's a great example without sacrificing in the way that some players like I think of Monte Ellis always for this like guys that there's certain guys that are high steel guys who are who are giving away a lot when they don't get the ball and I think Memphis does a much better job kind of like Boston I would say is another team like this that that those teams like two three years ago that were generating a ton of turnovers that they were weren't sacrificing positioning and everything else offensively I've I haven't been particularly impressed with them overall I mean I it's still fun to watch Connolly operate I'm, I've been a big fan of his for probably like four or five years now you know I wasn't a huge fan when he signed that contract but then it looked so much better in time and so so I, I I'm kind of mixed on on Bickerstaff at this point I am very interested to see what their offense looks like as they kind of change some of their personnel over because not only will they get your Michael Greenback but presumably at some point Chandler Parsons will be available again too so will they be better offensively and worse defensively will they be worse offensively I I, I just I want to see that but I think he's been, he's been better than I expected but I had a low bar so I'm not going to say oh he's been awesome or anything like that but I am happy with how they're defending uh without looking at their stats would you care to guess who leads the Grizzlies in steals per game we mentioned that they are uh at least among players who have played more than 50 minutes hmm steals per game yes and and uh, it, it would and also uh also in steal rate actually Oh, interesting. Okay, so it's both. I'm going to go with Anderson. I don't know why. I'm going with Anderson. It's a good guess. Well, I do know why. But, but. it is Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol is averaging he does a He does a really nice job of dealing with in like attempted entry passes and stuff i've noticed that like cause just because he knows positioning and he knows angles so well that he can sometimes get a hand on those it's and he oh he had a play like this i'm trying to remember which of their games i was watching recently i cracked up because it's such a great like veteran big man play this guy who does a lot of kind of handoff stuff he just put his hand right in the middle of the handoff and just knocked the ball out and it's like yes it's not exactly a risky foul situation he just he just knew exactly where the ball was gonna go just put his hand right there and then hit the mesh point and the ball knocked out and and i think it was like selden grabbed it or something like that yeah he has 23 steals and 10 blocks on the season that's crazy for uh a seven seven four a little concerning that he's only shooting 42 percent on twos uh you know his post-up game has not been yeah. particularly effective all right that's enough on them though that was, that was good let's get to the other half uh, of these teams that have now played three times already this season uh the jazz <sighs> and grizz oh so that yeah i was wondering why you made that noise it was just because they played each other again so quickly well and all of those games it's not necessarily that they're poorly played it's just that they're they're absolute slogs like that's just, it's kind of I what those them. teams want to do defense you enjoy them i do not enjoy them like, I mean, I enjoy that there are teams that are executing defensively. And, you know, I, I whether we're talking football or we're talking basketball, I enjoy quality defensive play where it doesn't feel like it's luck when the other team misses a shot or turns the ball over. But the way that both of these teams can be ground down offensively by a good defense means that these games are tough to tough to watch from that perspective. And also, yeah, playing three times in the first three weeks of the season. So it was a stat I, I tweeted out how it was angry and for whatever reason, autocorrect changed 
one word. But the Jazz now, after their game on Wednesday against Dallas, they will have played seven, no, 14 games. They will have played 14 games, I think. And six of those games were against either the, the Mavericks or the Grizzlies because Wednesday will be their third game against the Mavericks. It's insane. <laughs> Well, maybe this is part of the price that we have to pay for having a little more time in between games uh, that it doesn't get to be spread well, and, out. Well, and much. I think like there's a, there's also I openly acknowledge that there are a lot of challenges with scheduling and you know, you're balancing road trips and availability of venues and all that type of stuff, but it should be an org it should be a goal, maybe not a, a requirement that teams do not play each other more frequently than every 3 weeks. Because a lot like playing a team 3 times in 3 weeks if, you know, a player is hurt or or like even in certain cases, like there was a thing with the Rockets, a suspension, like that is a disproportional effect on the season, even though they play 82 games. It's it's a small thing, but it's something that, that is somewhat important to me. But where I want to start with the Jazz, it's kind of on this game, though I don't think either one of them was particularly huge in this one in a positive way. But I've been surprised by some of the lower end rotational stuff for this team. So did, did we do their fundamentals, by the way? No, thank you. Wow, we'll this, do is, that now. this is, Seven I can't six. believe I'm the one reminding you. I'm excited to talk about the Jazz. Uh, seven and six, three and four since last time we did this. They are 13th in the net rating at plus 1.8. Identical 12th in offense, 12th in defense. And 538's projections put them at 52 wins, which would be third place by themselves. And so before the season, my my expectation was that the Jazz rotation would be somewhat straightforward. I mean, you have their starters are the same as the end of last year. And then they have Jay Crowder, Dante Exum, and then probably Tabo who, and, and Royce O'Neal. Like Tabo missed a lot of last year. And then Royce O'Neal came on in his stead, but both those guys can play together. And instead, we've seen more of two guys that is is notable. George Niang. George Niang has played in all 13 of Utah's games. He's only playing eight minutes a game, but he's played in all 13 games, taking twice as many threes as twos. And I think I think I had the number that he's shooting like 44% on threes so far. And then the other guy is Alec Burks. Burks came on late as well, and he's been in the rotation too for the most part. I think he's played in like nine of their 13 games, and I think he missed a little bit of time as Burks does. And he's played more. He's played 16 minutes a game. And so with Tabo, I remember that he had this suspension thing. And so he missed five games. It was anti-drug policy, I believe. But since he came back, he came back like he was eligible again before the end of the month. And he has played a total of nine minutes this entire season and none in the last three games. Yeah, and you would have thought that maybe he would be the guy getting those backup four minutes rather than Yang. I think they, and they might want to consider that because they just have not been able to stop anybody when Gobert is off the floor uh although really the scoring has been the bigger problem and and so maybe that's why they're thinking hey we got to go with Nyang here uh you know Derek Favors has a negative 9.4 net rating Nyang has a negative 11.8 net rating and I mean the defense hasn't been terrible but really the offense has been bad and so they do go a lot to lineups where you know they don't have any of their primary creators on the floor I think they are still extremely reliant on Donovan Mitchell's creation Ricky Rubio as well. I mean, their numbers are kind of messed up because Rubio's missed time, Mitchell has missed some time. Uh, but it definitely seems like the lineups where they have Favors and Yang together uh, are not quite working uh, on either end of the floor. Gobert, though, I mean, I think they've looked great when he's been out there. He's the best net rating on the team, 8.6. Uh, 
and overall i mean you mentioned the 12th ranked defense well with gobert on the floor obviously it's much better uh and you know i think that they're going to get better than that and so i think really if they could maintain this level of offense that the offense has been a relatively pleasant surprise so far i think the defense can get better if they can hold on to these gains they've made offensively and their their shot prof profile is very good you know they're getting a ton of shots at the rim gobert is a huge part of that he's averaging 1.6 points per possession as the role man he's in the top five in terms of most role man possessions in the league which is very encouraging when you're being that efficient and then they're getting up a lot of three-pointers still too so as long as and you know their lineups with their best players on the floor are really good their closing lineup looks really good you had the stat on that they're plus 19 net rating in 112 minutes uh with crowder in place of favors uh at the four so i think everything's fine here i think you know seven and six people are a little worried you know they're three and four they haven't been able to win at home but i, I think it, it's going to work out fine for these guys i think they're going to get better defensively they might regress a little on offense but not that much and you know if they're a top five defense and uh you know they're in the top half of the league in offense i think they'll be right about in the low 50s where we kind of thought that they would be you thought they'd be a little higher but i, I think they're going to be in the mix for that number two seed in the west i mean that's going to be a really you remember when we had like second best team in the east we were like a couple years ago we were like going crazy about that i think this this year will be sec- who's the second best team in the west will be something we'll be monitoring all year it's not only who's the second best team but also with records both those dynamics especially when you consider how strong the nuggets started and how shakily the rockets started like the it's going to take time for those things to adjust and teams will go on runs and falter and all that something else briefly i want to mention and this will come up in defensive player of the month conversations later on utah opponents are taking 36.5 percent of their shots in the restricted area when rudy gobert is off the floor that 36.5 drops to 28.4 when he's out there and those shots go to floater range and they go to mid-range which are significantly less effective shots also generally they draw less fouls and the free throw attempt rate is also lower when gobert is on the floor so he is just such a transformational player and something this will be something we talk about later on that that dennis Lindsay and their front office needs to figure out is i mean their best lineup is their closing lineup which is crowder at the four and what does that mean for Derek favors and for their concept of what the power forward slash backup center role should be with this team because utah has a lot of flexibility moving forward and so they can go in different directions you and i were both critical that they didn't go after somebody like nemanja bielitsa in the offseason it would have been nice just to have that as another option and so how they conceive of what this team needs most is going to be extremely important even if we're penciling in gobert donovan mitchell and probably joe Ingles, who also we should mention the gauze band he busted open his right above his eye in the grizzlies game i think it was in the fourth quarter and they it looked to me like instead of putting the headband on like clay thompson got during his three-point record game they just covered his head in gauze i think it was more nuanced than that but that's what it looked like and i thought it was amazing yeah joe is uh he's, he's a pretty tough player a, a lot of a lot of aussies are uh, and you mentioned just real qu- quickly the structure of this team and what it's going to be going forward i mean this is in some ways is still kind of a consolidation year i mean there really weren't that many bielitsa might have been one but there really weren't that many options available this offseason to make big upgrades you know they wanted to bring back exum you know there wasn't really anyone else they could have gotten instead of favors but you know a big part of why favors is being paid as he is 
is because you know in certain matchups he can be in the closing lineup like against okc but generally he's not going to close games the reason he's being paid like he is is so that he could be a force as a backup center and give them a lot there but if they're not playing well with him on the floor as a backup center that's going to be something to monitor all year if if they can't if he can't give them quality backup center play then that big salary that 16 and a half million non-guaranteed for next year you know becomes a lot less palatable because i do think that they ultimately can't reach their ceiling with favors and gobert together against a lot of teams although you know maybe it'll get better as it did at the end of last year let's turn now to minnesota five and nine they did win uh, their first game of the post butler era against the nets two and five in their last seven their negative 6.6 net rating is 25th in the nba they sport the 13th ranked offense and the 30th dead last ranked defense still projected for 42 wins by 538 although i'm not sure if that's been updated for the butler trade uh, or not uh because there still was the projection from last year and butler was one of the best uh on off guys in the league where i want to start with them is just the fantastic article that shams and john krasinski wrote about the whole butler situation they, they went through a time and there are a ton of really interesting goodies in there theathletic.com slash cap space is where you can sign up for that it, get an awesome discount and you know john has just been doing fantastic work throughout this entire time and one of the things i'm really liking about the athletic now is they've got this huge network of reporters so they're able to blend local and national reporting like for example on danny's piece about victor oladipo they're able to actually have reporters in every locker room go in and talk to the principals there about you know what they thought about the fact that he you know wasn't going to be eligible for the designated player veteran extension uh and with john and shams i mean this was you know probably like a 2500 word piece i mean it's the exact type of stuff you get at the athletic this deep reporting that's not just something that you're gonna see on twitter it's not just a little newser like they're actually breaking news in a long form type of way that also like is a pleasure to read and provides additional color and detail so once again the athletic.com slash cap space is where you can sign up for that support our show support Danny's work at, at the Athletic. So, Danny, what were some of the more interesting pieces to come out of uh, that reporting for you? All of the pieces that I, I'm going to mention here are all things, and we'll probably talk about them as they come in. Are all things that I personally, and I've been following this reporting as so many of us have, not only in the podcasting world but just in the basketball world. And these were all things that I didn't either didn't know the full range of or didn't know at all. So the first one in the piece was clarification that Jimmy Butler. Had had made at least three other overtures to Thibodeau that to say that he didn't have a long-term future there. You and I actually talked about this on our trade rapid reaction podcast that like basically for us, that would have been treated as a, tra- as a trade request if we were general managers. So in May, July, and August, that happened. So that's the first important piece. And then that ties in with the second one, which is that in mid-September, Glenn Taylor is surprised at the situation with Butler and Thibodeau because he didn't know that this whole thing had been happening. And so what we have here is a failure to communicate to a significant degree, especially considering what ended Taylor's outsized role in the eventual negotiation. Yeah, Tom Thibodeau's ostrich approach with Butler uh, didn't end up working. It's clear. And, you know, there's sometimes when, whether it's because of people being afraid of their jobs, whether it's because of just the nature of those people themselves, that 
you know when something goes wrong you don't tell your boss right you're like well hey if i fix this he'll never know about it well you know you didn't fix it you weren't able to fix it and so now you come in like it had glenn taylor known that I and mean, he has been in this situation before most obviously with kevin love right i mean this is the exact situation kevin love said hey i'm in the last year of my contract i'm not planning on returning here and glenn taylor which you know in he has many flaws as an owner but at least one thing that he's been willing to do is to say hey if this guy's not going to resign we have to get something for him we have to do it now and at least then they wouldn't have gone into this season with this total clown show uh, which apparently has cost them like a ton of fans as well i mean they really were heading in the right track and now they're uh 29th in the nba in attendance and like they have to do all these specials to try and get the fans in and that's not really working uh well and and also this gets into the this idea that there's been cover given to and laden by some people fans some media people as well that oh this was the best offer they could have gotten yeah it probably is the best offer on the table in mid-november but if jimmy butler had been on the trade market july 1st or let's say draft night i am confident they could have gotten something better than this because then you have him for the whole summer you get all those other other elements in play and because at that point teams are figuring out the rosters when you try to trade with teams that are already set that have already sold themselves on their guys that have a lot less payroll flexibility because all those players can't be traded it makes sense that the offers were constrained and that when players like josh richardson play well they go off the table and that's more common than guys getting put on the table yeah we'll get to that I mean, we could just continue it in chronological order here uh what else then came out of this article that just was remarkable to you so three days after the ta- the, the other taylor part it's the board of governors and there's a cool little story about that and teams going to taylor and asking about jimmy butler and and taylor tells them to approach thibodeau and laden and then to come back to him if they don't get anywhere so what teams do that laden was answering the phone call saying jimmy butler was off limits and they weren't going to trade him so it doesn't take a lot to have to circle back when your owner is saying hey talk to them about a trade and then the general manager goes this guy's not on the market for any reason oh man uh so by 923 a package centered around Goran Dragas, Justice Winslow, who remember at this point had not been extended, uh, and a draft pick. We're not sure what draft pick. I would assume that means a first rounder. Uh, now, the Wolves had a bunch of point guards already i don't know how interested they were in Dragic. uh and then however at a later point the deal that when they exchanged the medicals and everyone thought the deal was done became a package centered around josh richardson and a future first rounder again we don't know the protections on that probably would have been like lottery protected or something um and probably would have included bad salary going back there's speculation as to whether that was a uh which wouldn't have actually been that terrible he would have been a much better backup center for them than jang even though jang obviously is uh being paid quite handsomely uh and they wanted to get off of him that was never realistic to do that and at least if they wanted to get much in the way of assets back as well that are actually going to help the team win and or maybe it would have been Dion waiters who again you know would not have really helped them even when healthy i don't think uh you know and is looking like real bad salary he's got three years left at uh over 11 million per season but nonetheless we said at the time if you can get josh richardson back josh richardson frankly might be more valuable than jimmy butler even at that time and that's before he started to break out a little bit this season i mean let's not go crazy that he's broken out quite this much you know this is only uh you know an eighth of the season so far but you know he certainly 
has done enough i think to make it so they wouldn't want to trade include him in any package for butler and i completely agree with that stance i wouldn't have wanted to do that either i think that it seemed like a very fair deal to me at that time and considering how little leverage they had at the time to even get a deal that you think of as fair is pretty good so they should have taken that one tibbs quote yesterday with the, in the first presser after the deal was we knew we had to be patient once we got the offers to a good point we executed the deal more accurately he could have said once we got the offers to a good point we continued to wait even longer and eventually took a worse deal because <laughs> that's what they did so the next fascinating part of this to me was a couple of offers that i just never knew were on oh, the yeah. table and it's often that you don't hear about this and there i mean they were reporting in there also that the bucks kicked the tires i mean lots of teams i'm sure kicked tires on jimmy butler he's an awesome basketball player but the two substantive ones that were new to me that were in his reporting are in their reporting uh john it and shams were new orleans offering nicola miritich and an unprotected first and then houston a different proposal than the off discussed four first round picks eric gordon and a and two firsts yeah and that's interesting because part of the reason why that four first round picks i think was a non-starter other than the fact that you know tibbs wants to win right away and what good does four first round picks to me uh other than you know being able to flip for other things that could help you win right away in theory uh twenty dollars can buy many things <laughs> uh exactly oh many peanuts yeah. damn it yeah. i got it it got it close to right damn it uh but anyway uh yeah so this one wouldn't have included any bad salary i mean again we don't know the protections on those picks it's houston you know they're supposed to be pretty good but you know i mean they've kind of dropped off a, l- a little bit here you know let's say that's two lottery protected first rounders uh from houston in you know probably it probably would have been this year and then uh 2021 it probably would have been the two picks 2021 you know that lottery protected first could have been something that could have gotten into the teens potentially depending on how houston evolves do you like that package gordon and a and two first rounders better than the one they eventually got which was basically uh Sharich and covington it's close because gordon has this year and next under contract then he'd be unrestricted you know kind of like covington except covington's contract is a little bit cheaper and then longer which is important and the first round picks again it depends on the protection but ah uh, I, I think i would go slightly for the covington and charge one just because if those picks were protected as I, I agree with you that that's a logical assumption i think there's a little bit more value there but eric gordon's an intriguing fit and if they could eventually find a taker for jang is there so i think that's a respectable offer so i would have picked the one that they chose but it would have been a close call yeah i mean i think probably the big reason why they would want to go with covington and charge is just you get much more team control uh, where you're able to covington under contract for three more years after this one sharich two more years on his rookie deal and then he's able to be a restricted free agent you can bring him back you know a lot of it's on what do you think of sharich what do you think he can be i'm probably lower on him than many and you know i mean i think gordon and covington at least as far as how good they are right now as a watch i think maybe you could say covington's a little better fit because they just don't have anyone who can defend on the wing right now gordon though with his deep three-point shooting could be different but you know i think some of gordon's creation ability would be wasted on this minnesota team he and covington make pretty close to the same money gordon's a, a few million more per season and then you know he expires after next year so i think yeah that's kind of six of one half dozen the other we, you would really would have to know exactly which draft picks which protections uh to figure out which one uh, would be better there uh the nets also apparently got involved with uh d'angelo russell ronde salary filler 
you know i, I like the steel that they got better than that uh and then there was one from new well, orleans what i think is interesting oh sorry sorry what i think is interesting about the brooklyn one is the fact that even though i would do that for jimmy butler in a heartbeat d'angelo russell being floated in a trade and is is somewhat notable considering he's a pending restricted free agent with that gargantuan cap hold so maybe they're a little bit less wedded to him which i would support and also them treating Karis silver and jared allen as core foundational pieces is significant from a team building perspective i'm not sure necessarily to these negotiations but yeah let's get to new orleans and the new orleans offer was reportedly nikola miritich and an unprotected first round pick yeah and miritich doesn't help him much because he's gonna be an unrestricted free agent after this season unprotected first rounder i'm guessing that would have been this year's and new orleans is looking like they're gonna be pretty good so i I don't think that that's really quite in the same ballpark uh, as some of these other ones um although miritich you know certainly could have helped them this year but i mean really the best thing for them to do right now probably is tank frankly uh they're not going to do that obviously but that's uh i I think they're just i mean maybe they'll win a few games here and can get back to 500 over the next couple of weeks but i think that seems pretty unlikely i don't see their defense getting any better than it was uh without butler even if he wasn't playing the best here so all right that's probably enough uh, on the wolves uh, for now we'll obviously be able to lock in more on how they're playing two weeks from now in the post butler era you mentioned new orleans let's turn to them now seven and six it's been a roller coaster ride for them they've had some massive wins some blowout wins uh ad has missed time he looks like he's finally back to playing well now they had a stirring 126 110 win in toronto on monday night and one thing that I was surprised by was that they held Kawhi Leonard to 7-20 shooting. So I wanted to go through and take a look at all of his shots and see how it was that they did that. Because in theory, this is a team that has been killed by big, strong power or I'm sorry, small forwards, you know, Kevin Durant always uh, has been key among those. And they started actually with Wes Johnson on him. Wes uh, played 21 minutes, didn't do much uh, offensively, but does give a little more size. And I thought that uh, when Kawhi tried to ISO on West, West did a, a pretty decent job. But the big key to me here was Anthony Davis, right? Like Kawhi was seven out of 20. He was one out of five in the half court at the rim. And on his four misses, Davis was in the vicinity on each of those. One of those, he didn't jump at all. And Kawhi just kind of missed it. Uh, but he definitely was still feeling the presence of Davis because he rushed that one in particular. Uh, they did put a lot of Drew Holiday on Kawhi as well. And I thought Drew at least tried to make him work, although Kawhi missed a fair number of mid-rangers that I thought were very solid looks that, you know, he's normally has a pretty good chance of knocking down. But it really, I mean, to take, if you consider that he's one of five at the rim in the half court if he makes three out of five or four out of five of those then you're looking at an efficient night or if he draws a foul on one of those plays so it really a lot and then ad switched onto him as well uh Kawhi couldn't get anything going against ad uh, on switches he's 0 for 2 going at ad on switches so i really give a lot of the credit to ad for uh Kawhi's rough night uh worth noting at least that Kawhi did get a couple uh of misses that were offensive rebounded immediately you know because he drew so much attention there uh he also missed a couple open threes so uh, you know it wasn't seven to twenty probably overstates the difficulty of shots they force him into but to the extent that he struggled ad i thought deserved the lion's share of the credit there for me one of the big just takeaways from this game and this should not be a surprise especially after last year's uh, the 2018 playoffs drew holiday was just awesome in this game i thought that it was a reminder to me of the just shutting down and then offensive dominance against portland in the first round last year lowry just was totally out of sorts the entire game and you can point to the one of nine 
nine from the field, sure. And he did still have 11 assists because Kyle Lowry can't fall out of bed in the morning now without getting a bunch of assists, which is a really interesting story. But just making shots hard. And it wasn't just Drew, though, because as you said, some of the time he ended up on Kawhi. I thought overall they did a really nice job defensively. And then as J.E. Skeets brought up on Tuesday morning, and it's been a kind of a weird thing they talked about in the broadcast, each one more beyond having a good year overall, he's consistently done well against the Toronto Raptors, which is bizarre considering it's not like those teams have ever played a playoff series or anything like that. And I think he has like 15 and a half points per game in those last five games against them. And he dropped a 30 on them on 13 of 18 shooting. Most of that from two. Uh, he was three of five on threes and then 10 of 13 on twos in this game. And yeah, I mean, just a, a really nice game from Port from sorry, not from Portland. That's the team they vanquished from New Orleans starters in this game. And then their bench, I thought was fine. They weren't they, nothing knocked my socks off there, but they did well enough that Toronto's vaunted bench did not actually outscore them. Yeah, and, and considering that Alfred Payton remains out still with this ankle that we didn't hear when it happened that it was going to be nearly this troublesome, but it sounds like he's finally getting somewhat close. And then... Miritich has missed two straight with a sprained ankle. They started Randall. They got some really nice minutes off the bench from Diallo, who gave him some energy in a, in a little over 20 minutes. Uh, more, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny that the Pelicans get a lot of shit for signing Solomon Hill, which, uh, again, to be honest, it wasn't a contract that I hated at the time, although I always felt like he should be playing at the four. You know, they signed him to play at the three, and, and that seemed like a mistake. But, you know, and Hill got $12 million a year for four years. That obviously ended up being an overpay. Certainly his severe hamstring injury uh, at the start of last year contributed to uh, his not living up to that contract, although it's unlikely that he would have anyway. But Etuan Moore, to get him on a four-year 34 million dollar deal you remember that it was reported initially that more who had a minimum cap hold and early bird rights with the bulls the bulls could have offered him up to four years 28 million and kept his minimum cap hold on the books and so the pelicans very pointedly outbid the bulls by going to 34 million that meant that the bulls would have had to break into their cap space they were too busy signing rajon rondo and Dwayne wade to want to do that so the pels got more and he is easily i mean he's been a quality starting shooting guard for this team at under 10 million a year hitting threes he has one of the best floaters in the nba he was five out of eight on floaters in that big performance um so I, I think that overall when you look especially at some of the terrible contracts that were signed in the summer of 2016 the pels who were not really considered a premier destination at the time even when you consider that hill was an overpay just getting more for the price that they did and having that be a quality contract from the summer of 2016 is so much better than the vast majority of other teams seem to do yeah, you, will, you won't really have much of an argument from me. You ready to move on to the Portland Trailblazers? I think that's a good place to go next. Yeah, we'll uh, save the Suns for last because, uh, you know. Save the last for last. Save the least for last. Yeah. Um, Portland, 10 and 3. 7-1 and one since the last 15-60. That might be a little bit screwed up. by The the numbers were a little bit weird in, in the dock for them. Plus 9.7 net rating puts them third in the NBA, which is great. Third in offense, fifth in defense, and 538's projections, which of course includes a lot of the preseason priors and all that. 47 wins, which would tie them for sixth. And a nice piece of news on Tuesday afternoon from Jason Quick that Mo Harkless looked good as he worked out on Tuesday. He's not all the way back, but his quote is, I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at. So he is an important part of what they do they I think they have missed him even though they've been very successful in his stead so excited for when that happens though we don't know when that will be 
yeah they've had a ton of home games but i've also had some really nice home wins obviously i mean they they beat the Bucks, who, who have been on fire they beat the celtics the other night although the celtics staged a, a comeback but portland largely controlled that game uh the shooting at the rim from cj mccallum was four out of 25 the last time we checked in on them but actually 17 out of 28 since then so that's a, a lot better uh he has gotten 10 shots at the rim blocked so far uh and then another statistical anomaly uh has finally uh ended here after a false start when he miles myers leonard was credited with a block which was then taken away (laughs) he actually got a block i think it was in the next game and it was his first since april 12th of 2017 the last game of the 16 17 regular season remember myers leonard's a seven footer who typically plays center didn't block a shot but he did get one and you know i'm not expecting that he will be as consistent a part of portland's rotations once if they if they're full strength you know if they get harkless back because then they can slide collins back to his normal spot you can get into a lot of these more normal situations and even if they whatever they end up doing with layman if they keep him starting bring him off the bench whatever and we spent time in the last 15 and 60 that i believe this was liam's team last time talking about zach collins and that was justified and zach collins is having a nice year i've been happy with him so far but the guy who's playing above him who just signed a contract last season yusuf nurkic is having another good year well he actually disappointed last year so he was great obviously when the Blazers got him down the stretch that's right two years yeah. ago and then last year in a contract year did not play well it seemed like he was pressing a little bit but was just was very inefficient and through 13 games this year he's looking a lot better he's having an underrated season 58 percent true shooting which is not amazing for a center but you know that's still quality offense and 27 percent usage uh as the role man he's been very effective he's 14th in the league uh with 41 possessions as the role man and what's really been the most impressive is 17 percent offensive rebounds for Nurkic which is just a ridiculous uh, amount of offensive rebounds you know that's like a league leading type of level although I think Drummond is still ahead of him uh now he's only 20 out of 38 on putbacks coming off the offensive rebounds so some of those can just be kind of tips where he just just tips it off the backboard you know didn't really control it uh but you know he's never been the greatest finisher around the rim he has to get his body into guys he'll flip it up early hoping not to get his shot blocked uh but he's 41st percentile converting and i mean that's still quality offense that you're just creating out of nowhere by getting uh these offensive rebounds. he's already has 43 possessions as a, a putback guy so that's almost four possessions a game uh there and then the biggest reason why you know he hasn't been quite as efficient he's only eight out of 27 on jump shots interesting to note though that you know there hasn't been really hardly any pick and pop he's mostly been rolling hard to the room he's only has four pick and pop jumpers uh and he happens to be over four on those where he's really taking the jump shot is on spot ups i actually watched all of his spot up attempts to see all right is he just kind of jacking bad long twos here or, or you know how is his decision making he has been taking a fair number of threes just threes where he's wide open at the top of the key and there's some who might say all right you're open for a reason but at the start of the year that's a shot that he's worked on we saw that a little bit in the preseason we saw it a little bit at the end of last year as i recall and if he's not being guarded there i think it's fine that he takes you know one a game when he's just completely wide open because especially with all the dho stuff that they do it's good to have him have to be guarded out there so you can open up the rim the other situations where he's been taking a lot of spot ups is 
when they do a dho his man backs off to try to prevent uh, the guy from turning the corner and then nurk will just turn to the basket and be wide open so there really were only like i thought three or four of those shots that i was like hey you know he's kind of contested it's a long two like it was early in the clock you know, he had to take a few late in the clock as well so I, I don't really have that much of a problem despite the poor percentage on jumpers i don't think really too many of those are like terrible decisions you know most of his usage is coming from the offensive rebounding pick and roll getting into the post uh and, and he's been pretty effective uh, on those plays another just little facet of the blazers season worth noting is that when they let go of shabazz napier and brought in seth curry i mean uh, we both like the signing of seth curry especially once if we found out that there wasn't a second year player option it was just a one-year deal at a, at a really favorable number and that but the idea was always oh if they're letting napier go it was going to be kind of like in other years where they let a guy go and then somebody else rose and took their place within the ranks that's what they did with pat Connaughton and numerous other things over the last few years instead that guy was wade baldwin wade baldwin hasn't played at all this year it's been seth curry and i think curry has done a, a good job and that's you know the other way that you can solve bench problems is by actually signing good players well and i think it's really we knew curry was going to play i think we anticipated that curry would be the backup two and they'd go with baldwin as the backup one but really it's been curry as the backup one but he's been playing in more of a shooting guard role they've been giving turner more ball handling responsibilities and nick stauskas has been the guy who's played more you remember he had that preposterous game early against the lakers i think that was on uh opening night and he's dropped off a, a little bit obviously you know he has nick stauskas we'll see how he, he finishes out the rest of the season but curry his numbers in particular when he's on the floor have looked fantastic he's got an 18.5 net rating now a lot of that is 92 defensive rating i'm not going to give a lot of credit to seth curry for that necessarily but i I still think that their decision which was controversial to not stagger damon cj anymore continues to be working really well they're also getting decent minutes out of jake layman you know he's been getting the keith bogans most of the time you know where he just plays the first six minutes or so of the first and third and then never comes back in but i think he has given some balance to the rotation now if harkless is going to be ready to return soon if he can get back to being effective i think they probably want to just slide him in for layman in the starting lineup but layman actually has been hitting his shots i mean that's been the big problem he's been aggressive looking to take the three pretty low usage but at least he hasn't been killing them you know and i think that's for a guy who was on the fringes before this year and hadn't hit shots i think he's taken an important step forward in his career career all right we can move on to phoenix here but first this from lending club whether it's unexpected repairs medical expenses credit card debt sometimes a little money can make a big difference you can get that money at lendingclub.com they give you access to low rates on loans of up to forty thousand dollars for almost any purpose it's a lot easier than going to a bank and they offer lower rates on high interest credit cards you can find out if you're approved in minutes at lendingclub.com. You can go there, enter the amount that you need. And again, it's so much easier than having to actually go in to the bank. And they're really quick too. If you find an offer that works for you, the money could be in your account in just days. For more than 10 years, Lending Club has helped millions of people with over $31 billion in loans. You can take charge of your finances today with Lending Club. The way to get started with them, go to lendingclub.com slash capspace. He's your own slash cap space. We talk about it all the time in the program. And if you go to that lendingclub.com slash cap space, you can check your rate for free and checking your rate will not impact your credit score. That's lendingclub.com slash cap space. Lendingclub.com slash cap space. Let me know if that slash cap space URL that you came from us. All loans made by WebBank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
Danny, the Phoenix Suns are on a historically bad pace so far this season. Yeah, 2-11, and 1-6 since last 15-60. and 60. Last in net rating, negative 14. Last in offense, 27th in defense, projected to win 22 games, which would be last. And it is important to note, yeah, negative 14 net rating is truly awful. With Devin Booker on the floor, including garbage time, I don't know how much, how five, how clean the glass separates it out, but they're negative 10.4 net rating, which is better than the negative 18 they are without him, but still not great. 102.4 offensive rating in his minutes. And again, that's suboptimal. I, I looked it up and there are only, there are 11 players who have played, you know, a similar or more minutes than him and are 20, 20 plus usage guys that have a lower offensive rating than Devin Booker. A lot of this is also having imperfect teammates, but you and I talked about it before the season that one of the definitive questions for the Suns, which is still not answered, is whether they need somebody else offensively with Devin Booker, like a, a point guard type guy, or whether he can shoulder the burden. We still don't know that for sure, but I'm leaning towards needing somebody else. Well, they haven't tried that much with him uh, at point guard. I mean, there is going to have to be having only one person on your team who can run a pick and roll is tough especially in the system that kakashkov wants to run but clearly the point guards who are on the roster right now are not the answer okobo isaiah kanan they were he actually i was always wanted to call him kanan he apparently now has just corrected the pronunciation that is in fact kanan like the biblical land but people were pronouncing it canon before this which was weird uh but in any event while he deserves credit for making it back from that really ugly ankle injury last year he has not shot the ball while he's only in the low 30s on threes and then elliot kobo has been their main backup point guard big surprise really young point guard from overseas drafted number 31 isn't ready to give them quality backup point guard minutes their bench has just been absolutely miserable as well josh jackson coming off the bench has a 2.5 per and he's only played more than 13 minutes once in his last six and that was in a, a game that had a lot of garbage time in new orleans he was playing garbage time there um so i mean with booker and Aiton on the floor you know we'd express some optimism that with Aiton on the floor they're only negative four last time we checked in well that's down at negative nine now so with with their best players on the floor they're only like run-of-the-mill worst team in the league in a given season type of level as opposed to like worst team in the last 10 years type of level which is what they've played at overall they also have i mean they've had a few games you know they had that boston game they probably should have won were it not for a miracle comeback by the celtics to get into overtime and then beat them in overtime and a foul that they should have made which would have which would have not assured but pretty dang close to assured the victory yeah yeah and uh kakashkov said they were told to foul and they just didn't uh, in that situation when marcus morris had his back turned with under five seconds to go and uh the sun's up three uh so they've had some competitive games you know they beat memphis for their only other win by two at home their their first win obviously was that 21 pointer over dallas uh, on opening night but yeah maybe we should just do more of their games for the nba cast because they're they're, they have a 21 point win in that and then their only other win is by two we're not doing another one of the games the nba cast they may not even be on national tv again actually and every other time that they're on national tv like they were on national tv against the spurs again this year they got just you know they were down by like 30 at home uh, after the first half and that one you remember last year they had a 
a national game against Houston and they gave up 90 points in the first half. Uh, we're not doing another one of those. Um, and we're definitely not doing a road game of theirs because they've been completely not competitive. Like they have a chance to be competitive at home, as we've seen, but on the road, their best result was a seven point loss in OKC. And even that one was a game in which they were down by 25 and just came back in garbage time. Other than that, they haven't lost by less than 17 on the road. And they've played a home heavy schedule as well. Uh, eight of their 13 games have been at home. So when they play on the road, they just are going to get blown up. There are some definitely encouraging signs for Devin Booker. I mean, the most important one are the shots that he's taking. So what you're looking for, especially with a young guy and Devin Booker is still very young, to shift some of their mid-rangers to ideally shots at the rim. And if those go to shots at three, maybe drawing some fouls too. And by and large, he's been doing that this year. Yeah, the numbers are looking a little bit better. And like I said, I mean, I, I think they've found slightly better ways to use him in Kokoskov's system. His turnover rate is up a little bit as their entire team is. I mean, they're 30th in the NBA in turnover rate. That's a big reason why their offense has been so bad. I think they actually can get better on off. I think they have better talent than, I mean, maybe they don't just because of the point guard situation. Maybe that's what's really like holding them back. I mean, because that's like point guard. Kind of like the mad, the magic the last two years where yeah. maybe they, they have a lot of kind of more dependent talents that just need the activation. Yeah, I think like Aiton could be an okay offensive center at this point in his career. Um, now, certainly the way Doncic has played, it's not looking very good uh, for the decision to not draft Doncic uh, number one. And God, if you think of Kakashkov, like how much you would just be pulling your hair out over the fact that they didn't draft Doncic, especially if things continue to go this way. That number one, you know, you coached Doncic, you knew how good he was. I'm sure he su- he suggested, even though he was new in the organization, that they draft him. You would think, uh, and then then you also have to like be pulling your hair out to try and coach DeAndre Ayton on defense every day like as the result of them not listening to you uh that's got to be pretty vexing uh few other notes on these guys Mikael Bridges is the one guy in this team that they've actually played well when he's been on the floor somehow he has a positive 6.4 net rating which is crazy considering how bad everyone else is uh a lot of that is teams just shooting a lot worse but the shot profile defensively is better for them when Bridges is out there on the floor I don't know how much credit we can give him uh for that but they are 15 points per 100 possessions better with Bridges on the floor defensively and not all of that is due to just you know I think teams are shooting like seven percent worse from three when he's out there which you know i'm not going to say mikhail bridges is the reason for that but uh the one thing to watch for him he has a disturbingly low rebound rate overall only eight percent defensive rebound rate for a guy his size he should probably be doing better there although their overall rebounding isn't any worse when he's on the floor and then a couple other small notes just for their rotation Dragon Bender, I, mean, I think we're getting to the point where they might as well. I, I mean, the only reason not to waive him is probably for a potential salary matching at this point because he's only played 14 minutes all year. And I mean, it's not like they haven't had garbage time for him to get out there and play in. Uh, Jamal Crawford signed there at the start of the year. He is now getting DNPs. There was no reason to sign him. It was, that was pretty ridiculous. And and uh, you know they ended up having to move on from a guy who I still think you know could be okay uh, in Devon Reed. And uh, Ryan Anderson just has not spaced the floor the way they wanted him to uh, with the way he's shooting. He's at 7 of 30 from 3. At least Trevor Ariza is kind of back to his normal rate at 34%. But you know he really has not made a difference. And there's an interesting thought of just when you have... Kind Kind of the pieces offensively uh, and defensively to be like a decent team someone like Ariza, i think can really matter right certainly you can argue that his loss has mattered a ton for the rockets so far this year and you know he's a good bet and he's community but bringing him 
into this situation which was just so bad to begin with like his skill set you know a three and d type of player like this isn't going to matter as much when you're just like so far below the Mendoza line of even being competent as a team that someone like that can get lost and this is why I think there are a lot of players like this on good on bad teams I should say that good teams should try to identify because I think there's a type of player who you know it's kind of the opposite of some of these high usage a little bit more inefficient creationists you know your Carmelo Anthony's your DeMarcus Cousins maybe guys who you know offensively can kind of raise your floor a little bit but then you get them onto a good team and maybe they're not efficient enough and they take shots away from better players and so maybe they don't help you if you're a good team you know Ariza is probably an example of a guy who really can help you if you're a good team but then if you're a bad team you know just can't really do enough to make much of a difference so maybe there's something to be said for guys who are good on good teams and don't really help bad teams uh as opposed to the type of players who help bad teams and don't really help good teams as well it's a very interesting point and it's something that it would be fun to take some time to well, try to identify and covington some moving forward covington's gonna be an interesting one too going mm-hmm. in, going into minnesota that's kind of what i was getting at that's kind of what i was getting at as a part of the and charge to me as a dependent offensive player could end up being in that camp too but covington is a clear example for many reasons all right i think uh that's all i've got here i will uh look forward to seeing you at the game tonight and uh we'll be back with a gamer and catch up on some news as well uh, on wednesday got a lot of good stuff on the schedule wednesday and then the nba cast will return thursday for golden state at houston which is the early game five o'clock pacific eight o'clock eastern uh, follow me on twitch at twitch.tv slash nate duncan nba that's where we've moved over to now hopefully even have a new banner that'll be really exciting it says nba cast on it uh and uh we really look forward to interacting with all you guys doing uh that live play-by-play if you haven't checked that out i implore you uh, to do so we will talk to you all then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 